don't overanalyze. Dive in. Right? I, I don't have a crystal ball, but depending on the you know hundred reports you read from all the big firms, anything from ten to thirty percent of financial services will become embedded. Hi, and welcome to Open Banking Today and Tomorrow, the podcast where we explore the dynamic world of open banking and its transformative impact on the financial industry. This podcast is powered by Rabobank. I am Jeroen Broekema and I'm your host today. Today, we have a special guest joining us, Nico Strauss, the tribe leader business-to-business services at Rabobank. Nico brings a wealth of knowledge and experience in the field of embedded services. Welcome, Nico. Hi, Jeroen. Great to be here. Great you're joining us uh, today in this podcast. I'm, I'm delighted. And first of all, I'd love to get uh, a bit more introduction, a bit more feeling about who you are and yeah. your background. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I can imagine where um, you know a, a tribe leadership role doesn't really speak to what I do every day. Um, I've been with Rabobank now for almost five years. Um, I have a background commercially and in product, in data, uh, fintech, um, on a pan-European basis. And for these past five years, have headed up um, the tribe at Rabobank that takes care of the business payments acceptance, identity acceptance, and open banking solutions. Um, I, I won't bother you with the jargon, but suffice to say, we, we take care of about 100,000 business customers of, of Rabobank um, and are one of the largest providers in the Netherlands. Wow, that's a quite a quite a you know remit you, you're um, you're dealing with. So what I find very interesting about your your background is you now work for a large financial institution. You have worked for uh, for a fintech, for yeah. example. So yeah. what are the major differences here? <laughs> I think we could fill a separate podcast on that alone. But uh, this was also a conscious choice on my part, um, having experienced you know a company going from private equity ownership to IPO. I consciously made a choice to go and join an incumbent firm. Um, and yeah, I mean, going from an Anglo-Saxon model to a Rhineland model um, at a much larger institution, WorldPay was about 2,000 people and uh, Rabobank is 40,000 people. You know, all the, all the standard stereotypes apply, right? There's a bit more politics. Uh, the pace is a little bit slower. Um, but I, I have been enormously surprised about the level of knowledge that you see within an incumbent traditional firm, as well as, you know, the passion that people go to work with on a daily basis. But, you know, I, it's probably a, a topic for another time. Right, right. <laughs> Makes sense. But you, at least you gave us a, a flavor. Yeah. And we're talking today about embedded services. Correct. Just, you know, for my growth of my knowledge, yeah. what are embedded services and what, what, you know, what is part of it and what actually is not maybe. Yeah. So... We love our bingo words in the financial industry, um, but embedded services is actually quite simple, right? So it is a non-financial company offering financial services through either an API or another technical connector um, or through their own platform, right? And these have actually existed for decades. So here in the Netherlands, think, for example, of your KLM Flying Blue Amex card, right? That is a financial services service offered to KLM customers in a business setting, right? Even as simple as the payment terminal that you use to pay for your loaf of bread at the baker, um, that's the baker integrating a financial services into what they bring to their customers. What's new and why do we have this bingo word now is more around the fact that the regulatory environment and the technology has changed so much that implanting these financial services everywhere at the point where the customer or their customer needs it is easier than ever before, right? And, and to make the corollary, as a consumer, we will run our lives these days on our mobile phones, right? And we expect all kinds of services to be in the apps that we have. 
you know, if you're running a business, that expectation is starting to become the same. And these uh, services can now be provided in a way that actually makes the customer happy. And to what extent is this something that is, you know, all about user friendliness, how users can, you know, go about buying things and, and those kind of things versus in the background, it's actually very different from traditional banking, or is it just a front? No, it's both. Um, and this is also the challenge, especially for a more traditional player. So, so uh, you know, having come from the fintech space, you're young, you're scrappy, you know, you need to get started. You want to partner up with everyone to take over the world, right? Um, whereas a traditional financial institution is more used to owning the entire value chain. So by nature and culture, they have less um, standard incentive to work with a lot of partners. Rabobank, interestingly, though, uh, as a cooperative bank, you know, it was founded to solve problems that you can't solve alone. But this has implications, not just on the front end for how it feels for the customer to use something, but also on the back end, even how you build technology, also how you market technology as well, right? Um, it's not just big banking logos anymore. You want to celebrate that you're working with partners to make their customers' lives easier. So I think in every discipline of the business that we have, um, you're going to want to make changes in skill set, in culture, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think it does. And you mentioned the word partners. Like you work with a lot of different partners, right? Yep. And um, you know, what are the benefits for them? And what are the benefits for you by working with these partners? And maybe you have examples of these partnerships as well. Yeah, sure. Um, um, we have well over 100 partners already signed up. And these also run the, the entire gamut, right? So front-end partners that we um, put our services into so that they can provide a better service. A simple example here is what we do in the embedded lending space with Bol.com, which is sort of the Dutch Amazon, if you will. Um, people who sell on that platform, um, they spend their entire day there, right? Um, so they're running their business, they're looking at inventory, they're looking at sales coming through. And imagine, if you will, that you know, you've got the Christmas rush coming up and you need more stock. Um, on the platform that Bol.com has, uh, by combining open banking data and the turnover data from Bol.com, we offer sellers on that platform a Rabobank loan at the point where they need it. They don't need to go away from running their daily business. They can get a short-term loan up to 100K within five minutes. That's easy, that's convenient, and puts the power in their hands. So that adds value to Bol.com. That adds value for the sellers on Bol.com. And naturally, is, of course, also adds value to the Rabobank. And, and simply put, um, it's important for us because we're there where the customer needs us, right? It's convenient. Right. And a lot of this is driven by technology, right? Absolutely. All yeah. the opportunities technology uh, has to leverage these kind of things. But ultimately, is the technology then with the bank or with these partners or both? Both. And I think that's where the most interesting examples start to arise, right? Um, uh, the, the, the payments example that I gave earlier is a simple one that everyone can understand. Um, uh, the example that I just gave from Ball.com is also uh, fairly standard. But where it becomes really interesting is levering data flows. Um, so, so, for instance, we relaunched our bookkeeping API uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, that has been a fairly sizable success. Um, so we've seen a 20x growth on our uh, commercial API traffic um, off the back of one of those APIs. But more interestingly, we're seeing other parties than bookkeeping parties wanting to get a hold of similar sort of services because they want to take that data from their customers, obviously, of course, due to G GDPR with their consent, and then combine that with their own insights and models. And that's where the truly new stuff happens. So the combination of data and financial services. 
simple example that we have uh, live in our own app these days on the on the consumer side is Carbon Insights, where you know you take um, a categorization engine, so basically a machine learning brain that we've been training for ten years together with the payment data, and you provide insights at the consumer level as to what their carbon footprint is, right? Now, that's easily a service that I can see rolling out across many platforms, because just like you run your life on a phone with apps, people are going to run their business with apps, right? And ensuring these kinds of insights are at the point where they spend their entire day running their business, that's key. I love these examples, like the one you just gave, but also the bowl.com example. Yep. Do you have so? Do you have other examples to share here? <laughs> On top of your head? Um, off the top of my head, yeah, we're looking at various, various different things. Um, so so there, there's the more standard stuff, so instant payments as an API, um, uh, the bookkeeping connection that we have, but also you know premium versions of the free of charge PSD2 APIs you know, getting to real-time data so that the quality and value that you can add goes up and up and up. Um, but we're also looking at credit decisioning engines, right? Um, so, you know, as, a, as, as not many people know this, but Rabobank, outside of being a super large uh, food and agri-bank, is also one of the largest SME banks in Europe. Um, we have 125 years of SME experience, right? So we have fairly advanced models. Taking that together with uh, machine learning and payments data that you can now get, that provides fairly robust credit decisioning, right? And because this is where, you know, even incumbent banks might have a little bit of an advantage, new players can build stuff fast, but, you know, they, they're not used to the regulatory scrutiny and they're not used to all the checks that need to be in place, right? So duty of care that you have with, with regards to uh, businesses I operate mainly in the B2B space. Um, consumers is even more heavily regulated, of course. But um, this is also where a traditional bank can start to shine um, because we have that experience. So if it comes to you know, duty of care, affordability checks, and things of that nature, we build those into what we design by design, right? Because that's the way we think. Whereas new players sort of you know, have to stumble a little bit before they, before they actually get it right. Um, so in a wider sense, I'm thinking that now after, what is it, 20 years of unbundling of financial services, all the different players are now rebundling them again, right? And that's happening at big techs, that's happening at neobanks, that's happening at traditional banks, that's happening at PSPs, right? Most of them these days, my, my you know, old, old buddies, they all have capital products these days, they're offering uh, account opening, et cetera, et cetera. So in that sense, it's all being democratized. Ultimately, um, to the betterment and empowerment of, you know, the business customer or the consumer customer. They're going to get the control and hopefully also um, better insight, right? Because the financial services industry, generally speaking, tended to be able to make life complex for customers quite often. Um, this will hopefully drive, uh, you know, a, a way to make it simpler for customers to use financial services. Also in a way that they feel more safe and in control of what they're doing. I come back to your your comment on democratization and maybe yeah, society because sure. uh, yeah. that that's an, an interesting one. I will definitely come back to that in a minute. But first, um, you triggered me right because having so much data at the bank, having yeah. so much data at these providers, yeah, and combine that, it's super powerful. Yeah, uh, your example on having 125 years of experience with lending to SMEs. Um, does it mean that the products you're now starting to explore and becoming bigger and bigger are extraordinarily scalable? Is that right? Um, I'm not sure I'd immediately go that they're, they're super scalable. Um, 
this is also a bit of a you know pioneering industry, right? We're now talking about AI and machine learning brains and things of that nature. Uh, we've been training some of these brains for more than ten years, right? Um, and and um, I, I don't think that's very easily scalable um, because every populace is different, right? And and for the SME business, right, we're very much the Netherlands focused, right? Um, we have we have a very large wholesale customer base, but for the Netherlands uh, and SME, we have data mainly there, right? You can't just copy your knowledge of the Dutch market into any other market, right? That requires a lot of extra training. Um, uh, so I, I, I'm not sure it scales super easily. And anyone that tells you that it would, I'd be sort of critical. What you often see in the industry is that somebody says, yeah, we can categorize every transaction and we know everything. That's because they have three categories. That's A, B, C, and uh, miscellaneous. And then you make 100%, right? So our categorization engine goes to 95 plus percent across the Dutch space without a miscellaneous category. And one of the ways in which we you know, make sure that it does scale also in a safe manner is we build in by design uh, feedback loops with actual customers, right? So as AI grows and everybody's talking about large language models and generative AI these days, building in the customer feedback loop because you're not always certain about what the input cycle is doing in your generative AI, we build it with a customer feedback loop. Um, and if you've been doing that for 10 years, it's not just 10 years of AI processing, it's also 10 years of customer feedback. So you're basically saying I'm overly enthusiastic or maybe I'm just, uh, you know, I think it's too easy to do it. Well, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, one of the things that, that we were thinking of, you know, is embedded services revolutionizing financial services. I think. A lot of people tend to take the shiny new thing and say, now everything's different. Um, and it's a super tired quote, but it's from Bill Gates. Everybody overestimates the change in the first 10 years and underestimates the change in the next 20 years. Um, this embedded services play has already been happening for a long time. Traditional banks like Rabo have been working on machine learning for more than 10 years. Um, revolutions don't happen overnight, but ultimately, you know, this consumer and business side, the customer, they're going to get the better of it. Incremental. Yeah, it is always <laughs> incremental, right? Right, right. So I already, uh, uh, you know, spoke about it earlier, but society at large, the impact for society, yeah, uh, it's also probably then incrementally happening. Yeah. But what are those impacts on society at large? And also, is this just for the happy few or for the people that make quite some money? Or is it really nope. also helping, uh, you know, minority groups, for example? Oh, definitely. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, in this case, not a Rabobank example, so I'll, I'll, leave the name, uh, I'll leave the name between us. But if you're a startup in Nigeria, right, and you're two people in a shack somewhere, right, or you're working out of Lagos, um, you can start up and then incorporate your business in the US via an entity in Delaware from your laptop, right? It just This wasn't possible a couple of years ago. So if you think of that, the effort it would take for a business from Nigeria to grow to a sizable enough state that they can start selling in the US, right? There are providers in the market that provide incorporation services, um, capital distribution services for a business that have fa has founders across five continents. This is all possible today already, right? So I, I think that democratization is already happening on a much larger scale. And I, the, the corollary here is a fairly old book by now called The New Rules of Retail, which is an analysis of how the shopping industry is evolving, which basically says, you know, in the 19th century, you built a shop and people would come and you would win. In the 20th century, you have to do branding and marketing to make them come to your shop. 
In the 21st century, it flips, right? So you now have to go to your customer and provide all the services they need, which, which, which can now happen now as a function of regulations and tech, but you need to go to them and provide services when they need it. I think in financial services, the same thing is happening. So the amount of democratization that can now happen in the 21st century as a function of regulation and tech is, I think, limited only by imagination, right? You mentioned uh, regulation, and that's yeah. uh, I wanted to talk about <laughs> as well. Of course. Uh, because ultimately, uh, how do regulatory frameworks uh, need to adapt to actually accommodate all the things you're just, uh, you're just telling us? Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know... Uh, the, just the, to mention the privacy uh, word, for example. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, 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 the joke you often hear told is um, around innovation in financial services moving at the speed of regulation, right? Um, I think regulators are already adapting here in the Netherlands, for example, looking at a risk-based approach, but more broadly in the EU, consultation on PSD3 is already opened. The open finance framework is already starting up. So the, the regulatory environment is recognizing different aspects, right? Enabling all the stakeholders um, in the field to actually function, right? Um, but also ensuring that there are privacy controls, that there are consumer controls, etc. I'll give you a simple example. Um, when open banking started in, in, in like 2019 in the Netherlands, we were sadly one of the last countries in the Europe to actually incorporate it into local law. Um, providing full control to the consumer of everybody they've given consent to was not actually possible. Right? I, in the future, that will be possible more and more and more. Um, the gener generic point I can make there is that it would be really cool if we would get these kinds of regulatory frameworks faster. But I very much recognize the fact, especially in the EU, that you've got 28 member states to deal with, right? But more broadly than just financial services, you see this happening across all spaces, right? So with the Digital Act, the AI Act, the Digital Services Act, those consumer controls and consumer protections. And I, because I'm a B2B guy, I think of this in business terms as well. The regulator is already doing it. Just needs to happen faster, but you know everybody. But you're, that. are you also saying that with all the programs you run uh, around embedded services, that yeah. you're you're not blocked? It's not blocked currently by your your aspirations are not blocked by by regulation at the moment. Uh, in, I I think if if you look at a pure if really granular level, yeah, sure. Um, I think hypothetically speaking, um, I'll, I'll make this comment generic, but there are many banks that could have done a complete mortgage process digitally with AI, I think 10 years ago, but they weren't allowed to, right? Um, and there's good reasons for that, right? Um, uh, but n I don't really think there are that much blockers. Um, yeah, maybe on a granular level, but uh, you know, the direction is in the same direction. Bingo, is that right? what you're saying? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So even as a function of PSD2, which is which is not complete or finished by any stretch of the word. Um, there is now a whole industry of open banking players, which we work with as a bank, which we partner with, uh, providing services to customers to run their businesses. Let's do two last things in this interview. Yeah, sure. uh, the one is, you know, we're going to help your your colleagues at uh, at other banks a little bit here. Yeah. Uh, at least that's what I'm trying. So if you have one or two tips for you know, bankers, people in other financial institutions that also want to set up these partnerships. You said uh, we have an over yeah. 100 or something, quite a large number in, in, my, uh, in my view, at least. Yeah. Do you have one or two tips for them where you say like, you know, that's where you should really focus on when you embark this journey, on this journey? Don't overanalyze. Um, dive in, right? I, I don't have a crystal ball, but depending on the, you know, 100 reports you read from all the big firms, anything from 10 to 30% of financial services will become embedded. 
So for any given financial institution, that's, you know, old-fashioned banks, but also new fintechs, everybody needs to get good at this, right? Um, so dive in and understand that it's, it, it is more than just building tech, right? It is building the entire experience across all disciplines. So you've got to build the right tech, you've got to sell it in the right way, you've got to understand your customer's developer, but also the owner of the business, um, and get in it for the long term, right? This is not um, a question of building an API and then asking um, the people that have never sold an API to go sell it for you, right? You need to take a little bit more of a conscientious approach. Um, I'm lucky that I work at a cooperative bank, right? So that, that can take a little bit of a long-term view because we don't have a classical shareholder structure um, that we can play the long game, but you got to dive in. Don't, don't overanalyze and try to win the market by some kind of magical solution. Dive in, work together with the industry and the ecosystem, not just of your partners and customers, but maybe even sometimes with, with a competitor. Um, dive in across the board. Very clear, very clear uh, tip for people that want to do the same things, uh, same things in uh, in another uh, financial institutions, mm -hmm. in other financial institutions. So the long term, your yeah. 20 years, your Bill Gates example, the 20 years. Yeah. Let's let's take 20 years or maybe take five or 10, uh, whatever suits you. But what are the things you see in embedded uh, embedded services that you think, the, you know, the direction is going to be? Yeah. Or, you know, other big changes that's good, that are going to happen? It going beyond financial services. And, and, and again, I have no crystal ball, um, but because I'm a little bit of a payments nerd, um, I, I tend to follow what the regulator is doing quite a bit, right? And I think a very interesting dynamic is going to grow initially out of the EU, where you see the regulatory environment, on the one hand, opening up all data spaces. That's not me say, saying that, but that's stated policy already. That means that now we have open banking and open finance, but you're going to get open energy, open education, all the way up to all government data, including weather and geospatial data, and more than you can imagine, right? That, on the one hand, tacked to, on the other hand, the regulatory environment, rightly so, I think, uh, requiring consumer control um, and making sure that the consumer still knows what is happening and can feel in control of what they're doing. So over the longer term, this goes wildly beyond financial services, where, so to say, the canary in the coal mine, this goes by beyond financial services and goes to all the different data spaces. I am quite excited to see, you know, what kind of cool stuff happens in the future. Um, but I think the million dollar question is, can you retain um, a good structure where the, where the consumers and businesses that use these kinds of services are all, all protected? Um, so in the, in the long term, it's going to be much more interesting. Sounds like you're in uh, in a great position and a yeah. great field to work in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, it, it's it's fun to be on that wave. Um, um, I, I grew up without the internet, and then you know when I was like fourteen, fifteen, the internet um, came around. So you know, I've always tried to. I found it very inspiring as a kid. So now I work at a, a place where you actually get to look at all this stuff as a job. It's quite nice. Yeah, and I love the way you talk about it. I love the excitement. Mm. I love the the way how you you know talk about the broader. Uh, developments, but also are very, you know, easily talking about, you know, very concrete examples. So thank you so much for joining us, Nico. Uh, later, on, later on, we will talk about open banking and instant payments. Sure. So check out the podcast we made about that topic. Um, so for now, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for the time. Each week, we bring you thought-provoking conversations with industry experts, innovators, and visionaries who are shaping the future of open banking. So don't miss out on all the insights and experts' perspectives. 
Subscribe to Open Banking Today and Tomorrow on your favorite podcast platform and join us on this exciting journey of innovation and disruption in the banking world. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.